Today on Fuzzy Logic, we are talking weird dining, strange creatures eating strange foods. We've got caterpillars that eat plastic, we've got people eating glitter, we've got mammals eating dirt, all those and more strange meals coming up here today on Fuzzy Logic. Good morning, Canberra, and welcome to Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday. My name is Broderick, and it's a pleasure to have you with us this morning as we are going to dive into the world of slightly bizarre, odd dining, both in the animal and the human kingdom, although the humans are part of the animal kingdom. So it's just all aspects of the animal kingdom. And uh, joining me in the meal today is the wonderful Phoebe. Good morning, Phoebe. Good morning. Uh, Nice breakfast this morning. Yes, I had an omelette. Oh, omelette. Very Ooh. fancy. No glitter, no uh, plastic as part of that omelette. I don't think. Yeah, not not that you could see in there. No. I, mean, I suppose it would depend on what the, the chickens had eaten as to uh, whether what was in there. I, I'm assuming that mm. affects the flavour of the egg. I, I would say so, yeah. but I'm not an egg no, that, that's uh, that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the things I got told when uh, I had crocodile for the first time was it tasted like fishy chicken, and they reckon half the reason it tastes like chicken is because the crocodiles eat a lot of chicken. Really? Yeah, yeah. When they're um, not not in the wild, uh, not wild crocs, but the ones that are uh, bred for eating, um, they get fed a lot of chicken, and so they end up. T- I mean, they they end up tasting like chicken. They are a white meat anyway, but... Uh, so I guess yeah. that would make you concerned if you ate a crocodile that didn't taste like chicken. If it tasted like pig, for example, you'd hope that it was because it had been eating pigs and not individuals. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, no, I don't think we could go that weird into dining today. We're not, we're not, not that horrific, can. I hope. <laughs> yeah, although, folks, if you are eating this over brunch or something like that... Uh, You've been warned. Exactly, yeah. Content warning, indeed. Grossness mm. ahead. Although we won't start too gross. I'm going to start with the story that prompted this theme in uh, my head, which is kind of a, a cool environmental story about these caterpillars that are eating plastic. So plastic is a huge problem, as many people know, and one of the biggest problems with plastic is degrading it once we've done with it. Single-use plastics are a bad idea because once we've used it, it's then going to hang around for hundreds of years, slowly degrading and being a pollutant in there. But recently, a uh, scientist and amateur beekeeper, uh, Frederica Bertaccini, picked parasitic worms from the honeycomb of her beehives and left them sitting in a plastic bag. Now, these worms are called waxworms, and they are part a parasite within beehives. They basically uh, lay their eggs inside the hive, then these uh, waxworms or caterpillars hatch, uh, and they start eating the wax in the beehive. Does that destroy the hive? It, it does a little, yeah. So it's it's not a good relationship. They mm. are a parasite rather than a, a symbiotic relationship where they're helping out the bees. Uh, so it's a bad thing. So that's why this uh, Federica was uh, taking them out of her beehive. Uh, so she chucked them all in a plastic bag. But when she returned to the bag... It was filled with holes and many of the worms had escaped. They ate their way out the plastic bag. Oh, they're escape worms. Escape, that's right, that's right. And so she was curious as to what, um, what, 
was happening here? Were they just eating their way out the plastic bag or were they doing something more? Well, they were desperate, first of all. That's right. I mean, you put most things in, in sort of some sort of container and they might try and eat them their way out. Well, that's right, but that doesn't actually happen in Big Brother. They tend to just sort of get evicted every week rather than having to gnaw through the <laughs> that's right. stage box. Yeah, I, I, there's limits on TV, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Why do I keep going so dark? I'm sorry, everyone. Let's go back to the nice wordings. Have some more sugary coffee and uh, <laughs> lighten up a bit. Um, but yeah, so she, Federico thought this was interesting. So she went to some uh, scientists at the University of Cambridge in England and looked at the possibility of using these worms to help solve our plastic problem. And they actually discovered that the waxworm, which is uh, also a caterpillar that's commercially bred for fishing bait, uh, has the ability to biodegrade polyethylene. Polyethylene is a type of plastic used to make shopping bags, long polymer chains, which is part of the reason why it takes so long to break down. And so it needs some sort of aid to help uh, make this breakdown happen. And it was a hugely uh, quick degradation that these moths, uh, these waxworms rather, were helping to initiate. They did some tests. They exposed about 100 waxworms to a plastic shopping bag with holes starting to appear after about 40 minutes. And after 12 hours, there was a reduction of 92 milligrams in weight. Now, that might not sound like too much. It doesn't. No, no. But a... It makes sound more impressive. <laughs> well, if you think about a plastic bag, one bag is five and a half grams, so not that heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, 92 milligrams is 0.092 grams. Um, but if we divide uh, that into the weight of the bag, we can see that 100 waxworms would take about a month to break down a single bag completely. Wow, that's a lot quicker than Mother Earth breaking it down. That's right. We're looking at 100 to 400 years to degrade polyethylene in landfills. So a month is a pretty good improvement on that. Yeah. Um, but you can imagine, you know, if it's 100 worms per plastic shopping bag and how many plastic shopping bags do we go through, we're either going to have to start filling our uh, landfill with a whole heap of worms uh, or we might have to investigate in a slightly different way. And that's what they were doing here. Um, oh, in fact, here's the stat. One trillion plastic bags each year around the world. So one trillion times 100 makes 100 trillion wax worms that we'd need. That's quite Ooh, a lot of wax worms. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but what we can do is we can look at what the is actually going on inside the wax worm and how it's breaking down that plastic. And what scientists found was that it produces something in its gut that helps break the chemical bond in the polyethylene. Uh, and so it comes out in its salivary glands or as a, uh, or they're still trying to work out whether it's in the saliva or as a symbiotic bacteria in its gut. But whatever it is, it's breaking down that plastic. And uh, the, the way I love this, the way that the um, scientists confirmed that it wasn't just the digestion, but it was actually something in the caterpillar, was they mashed up the worms and smeared <laughs> them into plastic. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, ethics around invertebrates is pretty lax. That's clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so what they... There's no other way. We need to work out if it's if it's them eating it or if it's something. Oh, smash them up! <laughs> smash. 
It's the easiest way to extract all the chemicals from the worms. <laughs> and take frankly. out their rage on having to deal with icky worms uh, for so long. I mean, hopefully they were euthanized nicely, maybe put in a freezer and then mashed rather than uh, just, oh, you know, mashing you live worms. I don't but, know. Look, to be honest, I do know uh, ethics in invertebrate research is uh, a lot more lax than uh, uh, invertebrate research. Uh, but they mashed them up and um, with this <laughs> That's paste. That's scientific. <laughs> mashed it. Yep. Uh, ate through the plastic. So this this goop that they put on the plastic <laughs> then ate through it. And so basically it shows that the um, the caterpillars aren't just eating the plastic. They're not just munching it and excreting it out the other end, but they're changing the chemical makeup of it and breaking down the polyethylene chains. And they're thinking it's uh, breaking it down into a... a uh, ethylene glycol, which is a, a chemical used to make polyester and antifreeze. So potential uses for the uh, products of this as well. Uh, we can make more wonderful polyester clothing from uh, mm. breaking down our plastics, which is a really interesting idea. Wow. I wonder how many clothing companies would instantly jump on board with that, you know, and reap the benefits of being able to get a more cost-effective way of making... Oh, polyester. Well, that's right. We're becoming a much more uh, eth- uh, sustainable society in our our thinking for many, many people, um, especially in the first world, where uh, we can afford uh, to be to be thinking a bit more sustainable. Uh, mm. So, if if people are selling sustainable cheap clothing rather than unsustainable cheap clothing, people would totally go for it. Absolutely, yeah. I would consider wearing polyester for that because usually I find it quite uncomfortable as a fabric, but uh, I would do it. You do it, yeah. Yeah, if it was, you know, ethical and sustainable, rather. That's not right. ethical if they're mashing up worms. <laughs> well, no, and this is the idea that they're not going to continue to mash up worms to form this, but when they can isolate the compound or compounds that are helping to facilitate this uh, degradation and work out a, a reasonable way to produce it, uh, they can start degrading this plastic in a much better way. Wow, that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah so pretty cool uh, discovery here. So... Animals eating plastic to help for the good. Yeah, the greater good. Yeah, but you've got some stories about animals eating plastic, which are probably pretty bad for these animals. Yeah, as usual, Phoebe brings the voice of doom to the show. <laughs> so now my point is not te- technically... Well, no, no, it's not a positive one. Sorry, everyone. But uh, so as we know, uh, lots of plastic that people decide to discard inappropriately ends up in the ocean and lots of... Sea, sea creatures, birds, whales, you know, everything in there anything tends, to, everything. Yeah, tends yeah. to get a hold of some plastic, eat it, and then unfortunately die most of the time. Um, you know, that's not new news for everyone, but uh, scientists actually hadn't been working out uh, why they were eating the plastic because, you know, there would be a level you think that animals would be able to determine what is food and what isn't food, um, but they've actually realised that the reason is because the plastic now smells like food. So there's an there's an algae that's consumed by krill um, that is the primary food source for many seabirds. And as the algae breaks down naturally in the ocean, they emit a stinky sulfur odor known as dimethyl sulfide or DMS. And the seabirds in the hunt for krill have learned that the sulfur odor will lead them to their feeding grounds. So these poor birds follow this plastic uh, to where they think there's a feeding ground and then just go crazy um, and eat a whole lot of plastic as well. So the floating plastic debris provides a perfect platform on which algae thrives. So as the algae breaks down, emitting the DMS odour, seabirds following their noses in search of the krill are led into this this trap um, and eat a whole lot of plastic instead of the krill. And 
again, you would uh, sort of say, oh, but, you know, maybe the animals could still try to sort of work it out. But they were saying that the, the DMS smell is sort of like a dinner bell equivalent, that when you're really hungry and you hear the dinner bell go, you're just, you're just into it. You're just eating everything you can. You, you know, you're not really stopping. You're so hungry. That's and right. it's similar. I, I totally understand that. You know, when I get super hungry, I, I could eat anything most of the time. Um, but no, this story actually reminds me of a friend of mine who was a cafe owner who used to fry up bacon first thing every morning in the cafe. Uh, they didn't sell anything with bacon in it in the cafe. Really? But, yeah, but they fry up bacon because it was such a good smell to draw people in. And uh, then they take their day from there. Oh, wow. I always find that, you know how Subway always has that smell when you walk past? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so distinct. Yeah, mm. I, I worked in a servo for, uh, that had a subway in it for a few years, and uh, I think I just became desensitized to it. To me, it just <laughs> smells like work now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so these these poor animals are are eating all this plastic because now it smells like food, and they're saying that um, plastic that goes into the ocean can get that smell in less than a month. Wow. So it doesn't take very long for any plastic in the ocean to smell deceptive to them, and then they start eating it. And um, they said in uh, in 2014, a global analysis measured ocean plastic at a quarter of a billion metric tons, and much of it was sort of small rice-sized particles. So more than 200 animal species have been documented eating the plastic, including turtles, whales, seals, birds, and, and fish. Um, and they said that seabirds are especially at risk. And a study published in uh, Australia by scientists concluded that virtually all seabirds have consumed plastic. Yeah, that's just crazy. Mm. It's it's ridiculous. And it's just so heartbreaking when you hear stories like this, where it's just getting harder and harder for animals to even distinguish plastics from yeah. uh, their normal food source. And, what's and you know, going on. I think so many people as well would sort of think like, oh no, it can't be too frequent. You know, a turtle might eat a plastic bag thinking it's a jellyfish, but that's sort of as far as it goes or, or, you know, uh, something might get caught in a bit of plastic, but it could, you know, wriggle free, but it's, it's worse than that. You know, mm. that they're, they're ingesting it and it's, it's horrible. That's right. That's right. And it's a lot of the small stuff, too, that's having the, the biggest impact there, uh, which really makes a difference. Mm. Uh, yeah. they, well, need, they need some worm goo. They do. We'll put some worms inside we'll the We'll throw creatures. the worm goo into the ocean and all, <laughs> everything will right itself. Nothing will go wrong. So please, everyone, this is my plea to you. Discard of your rubbish appropriately. Yeah, it well, all ends up in the ocean if you don't. All of it. You might think that, oh, no one's looking. I'll just throw this thing on the ground here in the park and what harm could that do well it'll go down a storm drain and then you'll be responsible for all the animals in finding nemo being dead <laughs> that's right so dis proper disposal and recycling is an awesome way to do mm -hmm. it the other way to do things is of course use less plastic yes and as a short music break here's tim minchin's tips for using less plastic Tim mentioned there with canvas bags. His one and only tip for reducing plastic use in the home is to take your canvas bags to the supermarket. 
Time is 11.23. You're listening to Fuzzy Logic here on 98.3 FM, 2XX Community Radio, people-powered radio. Broderick in the studio with Phoebe. And today we're not talking about looking after our plastics. We're talking about eating weird things because we had a, a caterpillar eating plastic earlier, helping it degrade. We have the poor creatures in the ocean eating plastic, not by choice, but because they think it smells like their food. But Phoebe, you've got a whole bunch of animals in the animal kingdom that eat weird and wacky things by choice. Yes, by choice. Uh, They make you question why by choice, but uh, some of it has a purpose. Look, I mean, we eat weird stuff like yeast extract spread on our bread with the uh, shaken excretions of a cow. Well, sure, but uh, I don't know. Would there be a difference for the animals if they had the whole thumb Thumb thing, maybe they'd eat even weirder things if they had thumbs that could prepare things in a different way. I mean, you just said yeast extract, so we need some thumbs to <laughs> sort all that sort of stuff out. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to say, I think some of the stuff that we eat is pretty weird too, mm. and we do it with much more choice. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Animals have to take what they can get. Yeah. And speaking of which, so one that probably a lot of people do know is um, that uh, cats tend to eat grass. You know, they, they predominantly eat meat but um you you might have seen a cat run into a a yard and start chomping down on some grass um and the reason they do that is well it's sort of debated but they say basically it's because being carnivores they eat a lot of um uh, stuff that can't be digested such as fur bones and and feathers and they eat the fibrous plants like grass to induce uh, vomiting to clear out their stomachs and their intestines um from blockages and lacerations and that sort of thing so but do, do house cats still eat those sorts of things like i haven't seen fur or or, or beaks or other things like that in in the whiskers well i guess if you had well, do you have any grass in your house then in that case uh yeah yeah, yeah. You keep grass inside your house? Oh, not inside the house. No, oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like if the cat can get outside, True. it can get to, it can get to creatures, creatures that it can yeah. eat. Um, and then maybe your cat's just weird. <laughs> maybe it wants to be a vegetarian. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that they sort of said that that's, that's the reason. Mm. Um, and cats that don't have access to grass could eat potentially poisonous plants as a substitute. So if you do have an indoor cat, make sure the plants you have in there are cat-friendly. Mm. Uh, another thing I didn't know, this is just a random aside, is that lilies will kill your cat if they eat lilies. So if you have a cat and you like lilies, don't. <laughs> that's that's fair. There's, there's a surprisingly a large number of poisonous plants out there and, and those sorts of things that uh, yeah, but lilies are so beautiful. So I guess they if you are. have a cat that you don't like, buy some lilies <laughs> and just let nature take its course. I didn't say that. That's the end of that. <laughs> Moving on. That's we love cats right. here at Fuzzy Logic. I do. I have a kitty and she's lovely. Shout out to Needy. <laughs> um, so there's also, they're going on uh, caterpillars again. There's another caterpillar that is quite tricky. And uh, it eats this ribwort plantain, which is some sort of plant, I'm going to guess. I don't know what uh, that means. but pl- Plantain um, is, uh, is, is a it, savoury banana. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So, um, so these... Caterpillars tend to eat uh, these bananas, which contain large amounts of defensive chemicals called iridoid glycosides. And uh, the caterpillar eats these because it makes them taste yucky to potential predators. 
It makes the caterpillar itself taste, Jackie. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know how the caterpillar worked that one out. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an interesting... Well, and also how the predators know that they taste bad too. Like, they'd have to... You'd have to... Like, you always got to try something before you reject it outright. Mm. You can't, so there must have been one or two uh, that got eaten and then predators like, wow, these guys taste bitter. Um, there must be a weird word of mouth thing happening between yeah. all these different animals, though. Caterpillar to other caterpillar. Yeah. Oh, no, Susie got eaten yesterday. Well, she didn't eat her bananas, so that's well, what you get if you don't eat your bananas. <laughs> well, this is often the thing, though. If there were a group that ate bananas and one got eaten from that group and then everyone's like, oh, they taste gross, then they that group would continue to eat the bananas and, and not get eaten by uh, the predators. But it, it, it is an interesting one. Now that the predators have learnt that they taste gross, I wonder if the caterpillars stopped eating these bananas, whether they'd still not get eaten because the predators remember that they taste gross still. I don't think so. I think they were saying that there are other ones that don't eat them ah. um, and, they, and they get gobbled. So maybe if you just live close to the bananas, that's deterrent enough. Yeah. But they said that ants won't go near these caterpillars either. Maybe they just get really bad BO from it too. Maybe. Yeah. Something <laughs> happening there. Banana BO? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was talking about talking caterpillars before, so, you know, yeah. there's that too. Um, there's also a lot of different animals that uh, eat dirt, <laughs> dirt and clay. Um, and, and that's, you know, the, the investigators have found that. There's more than 200 species of animals, including parrots, deer, elephants, bats, rabbits, baboons, gorillas, and chimpanzees that that eat that eat dirt here and there. Like not as a main part of their diet, but they'll they'll use it um, sometimes. And and they're quite choosy about what dirt they'll go for. You know, parrots will fly, you know, a, a long way to find the right type of dirt that they're actually after. And the, the, they can tell the difference between the different dirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, orangutans will sort of put their hands in the ground and, you know, they might not want the sort of topsoily stuff. They might want the sort of clay under, you know, further down and right. dig further down and go, and go for that. So they were sort of saying that they think, you know, some animals might have a mineral deficiency or um, they need some certain uh, vitamins that they want to get from... Uh, from from the dirt, and that uh, another one is detoxification. In that, uh, in most cases, eating dirt is probably a way to get rid of toxins yeah. and um, sort of make your make your gut feel nice. They were saying that apparently orangutans, they were, when they were studying them, would tend to eat clay more often if if they were noted as having diarrhea it would help with their digestion and yeah well it's it's interesting the eating dirt thing because a lot of uh the uh new age type thinking people that eat about eating eating activated carbon or activated charcoal and those sorts of things which is pretty similar has a lot of similarities to dirt you know dirt is very carboniferous made up of a lot of carbon as is charcoal and people eat this to to try and take out the toxins around the same theory. And it totally does work. It takes out your toxins from your body, um, but it only really does it if you're actually ingesting large amounts of toxins. Mm. So if you have ingested something bad or poisonous or some strange plant in the forest like the orangutans probably do, then, yeah, it would totally be a, a way to help process that. 
the people who are new age thinkers though eating activated charcoal the most case are trying to detox their body from things that the body just naturally gets rid of anyway and the liver's pretty well trained to uh, to be our natural detoxifying agent so you know well um activated uh, carbon and charcoal can have an effect on taking those things out for people we don't really need it our body's pretty good at dealing with the stuff we put in our mouth anyway yeah, well, that's that goes similar, and I'm sidetracking a little bit. But you know how they talk about how everything has antioxidants, and um, you know, but, but this has more antioxidants in it than like whatever, and you should have it. And it'll make you, you know, Superman essentially. Mm. And it's talking about um, that it doesn't matter how many additional antioxidants you put in your body. Like a car will run at the same capacity, whether it's got a full tank of petrol or a half tank of petrol, and it's the same with antioxidants. Yeah. Just because you put more in doesn't mean your body will perform any better or any worse than it did before. Yeah, It's just become a bit of a market, marketing <laughs> tactic, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Um, but people should be aware of, I suppose. Mm, Take totally. it all with a grain of salt. That's but true. don't eat the grain no. of salt. <laughs> <laughs> no, limited amounts of salt is a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so going back to the, the dirt, yeah, uh, in a lot of different, um, cultures, you know, over the years, people sort of took cues from animals eating dirt and like, uh, the orangutans would eat clay to help with digestion issues and that sort of thing. But, mm. you know, having said that, uh, everybody ingesting dirt can also be poisonous because, uh, along with minerals and detoxifying materials, you might unintentionally ingest bacteria, viruses, parasitic worms, and dangerous amounts of lead or arsenic. Yeah. So... If you want to eat dirt, do your research about what's the healthiest dirt that you can eat, but probably don't. Yeah. Probably don't. No, that's, that's uh, fair is my enough. recommendation. There's a surprising amount of stuff in dirt. Um, but just to take you back there, you mentioned that a lot of cultures used to look to animals as to what to eat and not what not to eat. Mm. Um, an interesting thing I learned from uh, an indigenous guy down on the uh, south coast there, we were talking about different um, bush medicines and that sort of thing and what's good and bad for you. And we we're like, well, how would the indigenous folk work out what's good or bad for you um, in terms of bush medicine? And he said when they'd encounter something new that they weren't sure of, and um, a lot of the time the look, similar looks make similar things. But, for example, you find a new berry. Is it a good berry? Is it a bad berry? How are you going to test it? They'd actually often pick the older people within the the tribe who are are old anyway and and quite sick and test it on them and so they do it in small amounts at first and see how it went um because obviously if someone's quite old uh then they've got the potential to die anyway um but if if for some reason they decided that this was a plant worth using that's how they'd uh they'd go about testing it i really thought you were going to say they'd test it on like some animals nearby or watch and wait and see if the animals ate them but not just like well test it on your grandma she's probably gonna die anyway (laughs) that that may have been a part of it too i'm not a total expert on uh, indigenous health practices i mean sure it makes sense but you're hearing that well and and this is the thing i guess they wouldn't do it with every little thing but if you're um, being an itinerant population they might get somewhere and a new a whole whole new bunch of uh plants pop up um that are a fantastic resource if you can use that resource somehow um then you may as well <laughs> so i wonder how much it would come back to you know if if you did experiment and eating it didn't really do much or it was poisonous or something would would that plant then be discarded or would they continue trying to find uses say you know as a fabric or as a 
you know, adhesive or, you know, something yeah. like that. I mean, but, where would you draw the line? Well, we can't eat it. Should we try seeing if we can do something else with it or just move along? Yeah, no, I think they would try doing other things with mm. it um, because there's other plants they have. Um, and uh, I can't remember which plant it, it is, but there are plants that uh, cultures would use and they'd eat them, but they'd have to uh, put them out in the water for uh, overnight or for a week or something like that to allow the fresh water to go through. And what the, the fresh water would actually be doing is washing out a lot of the toxins in there. And so by the time it sat in the water for whatever amount of time they determined, they'd then take it out and be able to eat it from there. Um, uh, another uh, thing that you could, yeah, and then you could totally use it for fibres or, or things like that as well. Uh, you know, our indigenous peoples are really some of the first scientists mm-hmm. that were on on this country. They were they were performing a whole bunch of uh, different science experiments, just not in the formal way that we'd see science now, but in their <laughs> own way to to live, survive, and thrive. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Um, so now I've got some other animals that eat strange things. Right, back to the animals. Yeah. Yes. I warn you, these are very strange. <laughs> and strange, grim strange. You're taking us down a very black path today, Phoebe. Well, What's going Is yeah. everything okay in your life? Are you fine? Are you all right? Mother Nature is a cruel mistress. That's, that's what this is. This <laughs> is not really... me. This all is right. just fighting what's out there. All right. righty. So, there is a moth that drinks tears. <laughs> Does it just go around looking for really depressed animals? Uh, no, it's no. worse than that. Oh. It sneaks up on larger animals and pokes them in the eye until they cry and drinks the tears. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's horrible. So it uses like its long, what are they called? Proboscis. Proboscis. That's the one. Yeah. And just stabs them in the eye so they can't <laughs> shake them off and drinks their tears. Oh. Mm-hmm. So um, different species of this moth favour different victims, but they all prefer animals that have no means of brushing them off. And species on some continents continents target slow grazing animals like deer or even crocodiles. <laughs> while uh, a species oh, in... Tears, yeah, 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 there you go. Delicious, apparently. <laughs> um, while a species in Madagascar attacks birds as they sleep, digging between their eyelids <laughs> with their proboscis, which is covered in barbs. Oh, Oh, that's just making my eyes twitch now just thinking about it. Isn't that charming? That's horrible. And there's at least three species of these, of uh, tear-drinking bees in Thailand. Gee, I wonder what they get out of the tears. What's what's nutritious? I mean, I suppose tears are quite salty, aren't they? They must be electrolytes and minerals and that sort of thing in there, but... Seems yeah. like a bizarre way to live. It, yeah, well, I get well. Well, they they wouldn't be near the ocean to get any other sort of salty <laughs> liquid. I guess that's that's yeah. their only option. But again, how would a moth know that that's what it wanted? It's such a randomly specific thing because, as you said, animals don't sit around just crying it out anywhere. There wouldn't be a ready available source of tears. <sighs> Uh, Mother Nature and evolution has uh, come up with some weird things, hasn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, look, I guess no one else is stealing the tears from animals, so it's a good food source. Somebody had to do it. Yeah, so... someone had to get in there and take <laughs> them away. So have um, you ever had a fear of moths? Well, I've just made it much worse. Yeah. <laughs> don't go to Madagascar is all I can say if you don't want these ones. Uh, no. Yikes. So next on the menu, there is an omatacoita which is an eyeless, limbless, worm-like crustacean. And this thing feeds off the eyeballs of the Greenland shark. uh. (laughs) Always about the eyes. Eyes, yeah, you're just on the eyes at the moment. 
Just like off. the animals. Well, so it just eats out the eyes of this shark. Pretty much. So do we just have a whole bunch of blind sharks in Greenland? Yes. <laughs> Actually, yes. How are they still alive? So, okay, so these sharks are so impressive. They can eat polar bears, but this parasite burrows into the shark's eye and this then just hangs out there forever, drinking the shark's or drinking and eating the shark's eye for its for the rest of its life. Forever. So it must it must be uh, doing it in a sustainable way then, because obviously it wants the shark to stay alive as long as possible so it can continue drinking from the eye. Right, so the, yeah. the Greenland shark doesn't actually need its eyes to uh, hunt, which is lucky because li- like scientists have found that almost 100% of these sharks have these parasites in their eyes. Wow. All of them. Yeah. Um, and so that scientists have sort of guessed that these parasites may attract prey to the shark, sort of like a fishing lure. So it's more of a symbiotic relationship than you, ah. would, than you would think about. So at least the shark's getting something out of having its eyeballs eaten for its life. <laughs> I feel like Steven Spielberg needs to know about this. This is going to be Jaws 4, the you know glowing green-eyed shark. Just <laughs> in the night you see it in the distance, these two lights just coming through the water. Yeah, but then the shark just crashes into crashes the boat because it's like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Didn't thump. Didn't. Ah, there's old Blindy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, that one could be Blindy. Hmm. Well, (laughs) just stay away. Uh, hmm. So there you go. There's two eyeball ones. All right. Okay. Do you have anything? Are we getting off eyeballs now? Yes, we're getting off eyeballs, I swear. I swear. Okay. So this one, uh, this is like a seabird called a skewer. Or a skewer. Yeah, they're like big big seagulls. Yeah. Yeah. They are jerk seagulls. Jerk seagulls. Is what they are. So other seabirds and seagulls will, you know, fly around, catch fish, you know. Steal your chips. That's right. Do do your thing. Whereas this skewer is just a schoolyard bully. And all it does is harass the other birds. It dive bombs them and just terrorize them until these seabirds are so frightened that they throw up. And then the skewer eats eats the vomit that's got all like partially digested fish and all yummy yum in it. it it's too lazy to even begin to digest How it. How is once... that better than catching your own fish? Well, that's much harder work. <laughs> this is like the this is a major jerk of the animal kingdom. Yeah. So during winter months, the skewer, the, the vomit equates to ninety five percent of its diet. Because it doesn't want to catch the fish. It just wants to scare others into catching the fish. And if the other, if their victim doesn't throw up, the skewer will just get sick of trying to scare it and will just kill it and eat the bird. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's horrible. Yes. How do these... These are horrible creatures. Let's get rid of all the skewers. I'm going to start a campaign. <laughs> no more skewers. Well, they might have some other benefit. I don't know what that is, but there must be a bigger predator that's eating those, surely. Yeah. Like, revenge eating them. I don't know. I hope so. I hope they just get eaten by all the, the giant walruses. Yeah, let's like say that. walruses. Yeah, all right. But, Go. I mean, imagine being a seagull being like, oh, I'm just going to get out and get some... Oh, God, here comes Ted. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> oh, no, he's picked me today. Oh, no. Well, the worst thing is, after... 
you know, you've gone to all this effort to catch a fish as a seagull. And you've eaten the fish you've and enjoyed it. Fish. Yeah, and then you get uh, the skewer chasing you. It makes you vomit it all up. Now you're suddenly tired from being chased around by this giant bird all day and you've got an empty stomach so you have to go out and get some more fish and potentially this skewer is rendering just the seagull population bulimic that's what it's doing (laughs) bulimic seagulls indeed it's terrible oh dear so lastly all right just because we've done you like vomit and eyeball eating i thought i'd just go to poo so um rabbits eat their own poo (laughs) there you go I, I did know that because rabbits mm. do two types of poos. Oh. Um, they do uh, dry, grassy ones and uh, wet, mushy ones. And they eat the wet, <laughs> Are those mushy the ones. Scientific names? For yeah, the, that's okay. right. I, I am a scientist with rabbits. No, but we, I've uh, had uh, multiple housemates with rabbits, and uh, we've got a rabbit at home at the moment. And yeah, they, the the dry, grassy ones uh, are. Um, quite fine you know they're 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 the little round ones that you often see but yeah the, the wet squishy ones they'll food that and eat it back again um to maintain their gut bacteria yeah it's like a probiotic you yeah. know that you're cold yeah. yeah think about it everybody that's right well mm-hmm. and the, the humans do the same thing as well uh but under what, more, eat their own poo yeah under a greater medical supervision uh so often when people uh have uh, stomach issues or something like that um stomach pumped they sometimes end up with uh almost nothing left inside their stomach and the gut bacteria that you have there are really important uh, for breaking down your food and for keeping you healthy all your probiotics and that sort of thing and so uh, when people have gone through a bad circumstance they don't want to just leave them there with an empty stomach because they're still going to remain uh, in a bad situation so they'll give them a what's called a fecal transplant um, where they uh, take someone else's poo and uh, stick it into your stomach uh, to help recreate that gut bacteria the interesting thing is because gut bacteria are actually really unique from person to person, depending on your diet um, and where you live and a whole variety of other factors, they normally actually have to pick someone pretty close to to you if you're getting a fecal transplant. <laughs> so it's most likely your partner or your parents or your kids that are going to receive that transplant because you would generally eat the same sorts of food. Wow. Yeah. Gross. So yeah, that's right. So you don't want to have to get a fecal transplant, but when you uh, do, you know, you can rely on that, those around you to help you out. I feel like that would leave a bad taste in your mouth. Oh, oh. boom, boom. Busby Marie there with Biting My Time, fantastic Aussie band uh, joining us. Joining us? Joining us on CD. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Uh, time is 11.50 in 10 seconds. You're listening <laughs> to Fuzzy Logic here on 2XFM. We're scientific, we're precise here on the radio. This and is we a use a clock show. that has seconds on it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It was just uh, ticking away. I read the 50 seconds rather than the 50 minutes, and then it just got confusing. Anyway, enough of that, Broderick. Let's actually talk some science. Today we've been talking about weird foods that we eat, that animals eat. Uh, What are we all on about? I'm going to talk about a weird thing that... uh, People don't necessarily choose to eat, but we end up eating because this thing ends up everywhere. It is glitter. Oh, yes, Uh, everywhere. You may have seen this story come out recently that uh, scientists are now calling for a glitter ban. 
I think it's the ultimate scientist party pooper uh, <laughs> type thing here. We um, we don't want anyone to have fun. You know, scientists first... I mean, single-use plastic bags, they called for the ban of them. That's a good thing. We can understand that. Then scientists started to want to ban helium balloons. Now, again, it just looks like they're being big party poopers, but in reality, helium, limited supply here on the earth, and we need it for medical devices in uh, cooling them and that sort of thing and operating them. So we can't just waste them for a good, fun party balloon. Now we want to ban glitter as scientists, and uh, it kind of makes sense when you think about the way we've been talking about things in terms of plastics and that sort of thing, because we've been banning microplastics in like shower gels and that sort of thing, those tiny beads of plastic in there. And a microplastic is any plastic less than five mils in diameter. Hmm. Does that sound like glitter? Yeah. yeah, it is. It's a plastic that's less than five mils in I diameter. So. And they make their way everywhere into water systems, marine life, and eventually into us too. Because, uh, are you saying my insides are just fabulous? <laughs> it does depend how much glitter you use and how much it is around your house. Like, this is the thing. When you have glitter at a party, you, you never get rid of it all. You're always no. finding more and more glitter everywhere. Uh, and if you're a you know heavy user of... Of body glitter? Yeah, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, some people think it's just clothing at music festivals. <laughs> yeah. And I'd hate to think how much of that glitter they've breathed in uh, over yeah. the time. But they'd certainly be washing it all off in the shower, down into the drains and into the oceans. And, uh, you know, we do know the physical impact of pa- plastics on animals, as we talked about earlier, but not quite sure about the human body when we ingest microplastics. We haven't sort of done the studies. Uh, We're a bit better at avoiding microplastics where we can, but while more and more animals start eating these microplastics and we continue to eat animals, we're going to end up with them inside us too. Um, As long as they don't make bacon-smelling glitter. Yeah. Then we'll be in real trouble, just yeah, like the seagulls. Yeah, that's right, eating the glitter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting one because, you know, microplastics, glitter, it's not a nutrient uh, that we can actually sort of morph into our system and use in our body. It's a, it's a chemical. If you breathe microplastics into your lungs, they don't decompose. They're just going to stay there. Cause there's really? nothing, yeah, there's nothing in your lungs to help uh, that sort of stuff decompose in there. Wow. Um, and there's no sort of mechanism for getting uh, solids out your lungs. Um, so it's going to decompose in the same time frame that plastic bags decompose over 100 to 400 years. So it's one of these things that we're starting to realise that um, microplastics are dangerous. We just don't really know the consequences yet. Um, So people are starting to be a bit more uh, concerned about those sorts of things. There are, there is, there is uh, biodegradable glitter available. Oh, wow. Yeah, made from compostable plant matter. Um, You can find it online. The only problem is it's, uh, it's much more expensive than real glitter. Um, than real glitter, than plastic glitter. Um, and so that's one of the biggest problems is uh, we need some sort of leadership around it uh, to uh, to have governments say we need to stop using microplastics and actually put a ban on them so people are forced to come up with other solutions. You know, mm. the... well, It's better for your own health as well if you're getting the, the more expensive stuff. Think of it that way. That's right, that's right. But, I mean, this is the thing. It's, you know, canvas bags uh, and uh, reusable shopping bags were in place 
uh, well before plastic bag bans came into effect. You know, you could buy a bag from anywhere um, almost. I mean, they're much more common now, don't get me wrong. But before then, um, you could get a bag from anywhere, but people just weren't motivated to use it because it was so easy to get the free plastic bags from the supermarket. But then when the ban comes in, people start to become more conscious. And I think the war on waste uh, on the ABC TV show did a really good job around uh, re uh, reusable coffee cups recently and making people more aware. And so while the government hasn't uh, had to implement change, it's helped uh, cafe owners take action. Uh, and many cafe owners are now stopping giving away the disposable cups uh, so people can bring their own reusable ones to drink their coffee. As they should. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is tricky. If you didn't have your cup with you, you'd be pretty annoyed if you couldn't get a cup of coffee. That's right. That's right. But it just takes a little bit of planning. Yeah. I brought my... Uh, I thought I might want a coffee before the show this morning, so I brought my cup in with me. Um, and I often have it sitting in the car um, ready to go just in case I do. <laughs> you know? That is very much planning ahead. It, it, I love it. It is, but it's a, you know, it's a small sacrifice to save yeah. the plastics going into the ocean. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, so that's the uh, the story on glitter and humans accidentally ingesting it. But the last mm. few minutes, Phoebe, you've got a few strange things that humans eat yes. uh, by choice. Yes, but they... Uh, this is not her, uh, an endorsement of that behaviour by any means. I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of the TV show My Strange Addiction, where people uh, eat very odd things. Mm. Um, and they're actually saying that it could be, there's a condition called Pica, P-I-C-A, uh, where people eat strange non-edible things, uh, like chalk or sand. Um, oh, right. And not necessarily in a way like the animals were eating the dirt to get more minerals. They're no, not, not necessarily for, for, for any way. Um, yeah. They say the word pica is Latin for magpie, which is a bird notorious for eating almost anything. Um, mm. And, you know, you'd say a woman who's pregnant having cravings for really weird things, there's, there's different levels. So, you know, you know if, you're, if you're craving ice cream and pickles, for example, that's, that's more on the normal end of the spectrum. If you're <laughs> craving to eat sand... Mm. Not as much. This That's could be weird. linked back to a, you know, a version of this of this condition. But um, I'm just going to rattle off my mm, the most interesting things that people were eating on Strange Addiction. Again, not okay. an endorsement. Please don't do this, everyone. <laughs> but here we go. So, some people on it were eating plastic bags. Eating plastic bags. Mm -hmm. oh, trying to trying to be the worm themselves. Oh, I guess. That um, would oh, that would be weird because. It wouldn't break down. I mean, I guess it, you'd hopefully, um, you know, come out the other end, but oh, very Don't strange. Know. Okay, um, well, Tire off-cuts from tire. making tyres, like the little bits that they don't need at the end, the little scraps. How do you even get that? Are they, are they just Because her husband worked at a tire yard. Oh, gosh, that's weird. Like, yeah. stop bringing it home, guys. Yeah, stop. Right. Uh, rocks, drywall, dirty nappies. Oh, no. The no. foam inside couches. But the last... But not least, and I can't wait to see your reaction to this one. One woman couldn't stop eating her husband's ashes. Oh. <laughs> I, I mean, I, there's a limited supply of that. So, yes. like, you well, can run out yes. eventually. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess that one just kind of highlights how psychological Definitely. this is. Because... There's no reason why we'd want to eat ashes, um, but there's clearly something going on there uh, with her wanting to be close to her husband, her wanting to, 
maintain that relationship with her husband. Something I mean, that one's strange. more clear cut than, the, than like plastic bags. Yeah, that, that, one, <laughs> that one is probably actually more diagnosable. Hey, they don't have them the... at the supermarket anymore, and I feel like I've lost my connection with a plastic <laughs> bag. Oh, dear. Yes, uh, so there you go. There's people out there that eat that eat strange things. Do not recommend listeners at all, but uh, no. those shows are available all around the internet if you want to get another look. So <laughs> Check them out, yeah. No, it's a, it's a very strange thing indeed to eat uh, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. So there you go, there yeah. you go. Well, look, there are... Um, We've covered a huge range of uh, strange things today on the show, um, from uh, glitter to uh, plastics and uh, all the strange things in between from animals and humans. Um, But uh, we've only got about a minute left, so I know I'm not going to get through this story. I think we'll have to save it for another day, and maybe uh, I'm next on Christmas Eve, so I think this could be a good Christmas Eve one. Ooh, tune Um, in, listeners. Yeah, because there's lab-grown meat is a is a big thing that's being developed at the moment. Um, and oh man, you're just going to drop that bombshell and then not talk about it. Oh, that's yeah. just cruel. You have to tune in, everyone. Yeah, because because at the moment it's a, it's a very strange thing, and uh, I uh, my girlfriend's family, her and three of her sisters are vegetarians, um, and one of the other sisters doesn't eat pork, so she won't be having Christmas ham either. Uh, so it's a really interesting one uh, to be in that family because Christmas traditionally is the roast meats. Interesting, um, or is that just you eating a whole ham? It is, <laughs> it, it is kind of me eating a whole ham. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it's, it's a really... Uh, interesting thing because food plays such a role in our culture and our lives and uh i totally understand reasons for being vegetarian both ethically and environmentally uh, so the lab-grown meat coming in is going to be a really interesting one but i'm going to hold that over to discuss that on our christmas eve episode uh, we'll be broadcasting right through christmas so you'll hear us uh, next week on sunday then christmas eve and new year's eve uh, we'll be talking it through here on fuzzy logic so don't forget to keep tuning in uh, or if you just want uh, some uh, podcasts, some old episodes to listen to when you go on your summer road trip, Fuzzy Logic on 2xx.podbean.com is where you can find them. If you have withdrawals missing fuzzy while that, you're on you're on holidays. That's right. You can get our podcast there. I've got a couple that I need to upload, so I'm going to do that this afternoon. Uh, but thanks very much for joining me in the studio today, Phoebe. No worries. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us, listeners. It's uh, fantastic to have you tuning in in Canberra and anywhere you might be listening. This has been Fuzzy Logic, your science on a Sunday.